I'm so excited to tell you JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. What I love about Walker Hayes is his laid-back nature. He's a family man and being a country megastar while also having seven kids. You know he likes to keep his style cool and casual. This new collection is perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear, affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. Welcome to The Hidden Gin, a production of iHeartRadio and Grim and Mild from Aaron Mankey. Listener discretion is advised. Hi and welcome to this very special bonus series of The Hidden Gin, The Interviews. In these episodes, you'll hear me talk to people from all walks of life who have had gin experiences, are drawn to the stories of gin, and draw lessons from these stories. You'll hear from artists, scholars, writers, journalists, and gin exorcists. And even from me, as I discuss how and why this series came about in a very personal conversation with my husband. Thanks for listening and enjoy. This week, I'm really excited for you to meet my dear friend, Abdullah Antepli. Abdullah is a chaplain, and he is the Associate Professor of the Practice of Interfaith Relations at the Duke Divinity School. He's also an Associate Professor at the Sanford School of Public Policy. He has an incredible, incredible career Uh, I met him first in Hartford, Connecticut, when I moved to Hartford after I got remarried to my husband, Irfan, who you heard from in the first episode. And my husband was studying to be a chaplain. Well, he was already a chaplain, but he was doing another chaplaincy degree. And we moved to Hartford, Connecticut, so he could go to the Hartford Seminary. And Abdullah is the first person we met. He took us under his wing. He introduced us to the community, and he's amazing. So he's known as the Blue Devil Imam because he's at Duke University. To tell you a little bit about him, he, from 1996 to 2003, he worked on a bunch of faith-based and humanitarian and relief projects in Myanmar and Malaysia. He's a founder and executive board member of the Association of College Muslim Chaplains. He has served as the first Muslim chaplain at Wesleyan. I mean, he just has like this incredible career. He was Duke University's first Muslim chaplain, and then he became Duke's chief representative of Muslim affairs, where he engages student, faculty, and staff across the world, pretty much. He is also a fellow on Jewish-Muslim relations at the Shalom Hartman Institute, and he's actually the co-director of the Muslim Leadership Initiative, and that's a program that I um, did with him many, many years ago. But he's worked so long in the community as a chaplain, providing pastoral care to community members going through all kinds of issues and students, especially on college campuses. And we had just an incredible conversation around how that pastoral care sometimes came right up against the issues around like religious beliefs and spiritual beliefs and how for some students, gosh, it was such a difficult space to navigate. So, all right, check out this week's episode and enjoy my conversation with Abdullah. I, I, I know this is totally out of my wheelhouse, and I know you were like surprised to hear when I, when I told you what I'm doing, but I know you've been listening to the show, so that's thank you for that. 
I am just fascinated. Uh, I was surprised a little bit. Yes, uh, it came out a little bit unusual from right. what you had been doing already. But everything you do come out meaningful, wonderful, healing. And the first and a half episode I have listened just didn't disappoint me. That's I great. Think you are putting together beautifully how many different traditions, world cultures have engaged with this topic. And uh, I think you are even making people sort of... Uh, uh, create their questions more than just giving some simple answers. I, well, I hope I hope so. But, you know, so I want to start off, and I've told our listeners a bit about your background and how, how long we've known each other and been friends, and you've my, been my mentor for, for a long time now. But mm-hmm. I would like you to tell our listeners a little bit about your background and your upbringing so they know what part of the world you're coming from and, and a little bit about your culture. Sure. I am, uh, as my students call me, a Turkish delight <laughs> um, or a Turkish delight imam. Originally from Turkey, I grew up in the southeastern part of Turkey in a very secular household initially, but became very religious in my early teenage years. And that religiosity, that attraction to Islam. So you were like radicalized, basically. Yes, I was a (laughs) born-again Muslim. (laughs) And thank God, this this could have ended really terribly, given um, how many different variations were in the market. Uh, I had the good teachers, good mentors, good friends. Uh, I could have ended up, uh, I remember in the 1980s, people were recruiting for jihad in Afghanistan. Mm. And uh, they looked very appealing. Uh, It was uh, incredible religious fervor and language. I was very attracted to it. But somehow, mainly uh, through Gulen movement and Gulen's moderate teaching, I was able to remain uh, moderate. But uh, still... My curiosity, uh, my um, anxious, uh, hyper personality uh, always allowed me to look for different adventures. Uh, I left Turkey immediately after college and then lived in Southeast Asia. Uh, you were in, in, my birth, Myanmar, in my hometown, in, in my birth town, too. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. In, in India, extensively traveled in India, Pakistan. Um, in addition to being Turkish, I am also South Asian and Southeast Asian. Really, <laughs> I always felt I should I, w- I should have been born in Lahore. And Absolutely, I should been, everybody I should, should be born in Lahore. <laughs> <laughs> and I also related to the topic that we are covering. I was able to see how uh, the mystical uh, beings and ghosts and jinns and and jadus and all these things have been so uniquely in that part of the world uh, lived as an experience. And for the last 20 years or so, living in the United States, most recently here at Duke University, as the Blue Devil Imam, again, as my students call me. <laughs> as an imam, as a professor of Islam, uh, as, a, as a huge fan of you, uh, thinking, working really hard to imagine that maybe in our children's generation, Islam as a religion and Muslims as people, Muslim Americans will have a better place in American society and will be better ambassadors to this faith tradition that we are part of. I hope so. And also, I also hope we come to, I also hope as a community, we get, we get to be better at what we are supposed to be doing. <laughs> we know about that. Um, so let me ask you this. Um, you, uh, so you, you, because you were able to see, you, you were in lots of different Muslim spaces globally, right? But I want to know, like, when it comes to this topic, like you said, so you were you kind of uh, uh, gravitated toward the Gulen movement, um, and not a lot of people know what that is. But the whole mystical did it have kind of a mystical side of it, like an esoteric mystical teaching? Is it close to like Sufism? Was there yeah. a lot of 
was there, I mean, what was it? I'll be honest. I was raised by my mother who was, um, you know, who was Wahhabi, meaning she was kind of a fundamentalist. They're very, <laughs> they're very aspiritual. They're really not very spiritual. And so we did not talk about these things. It was like, yeah, yeah, it's there. It's supposed to be there, but whatever, you know, but what about you? Um, I, in the Gulen movement is not a traditional Sufi order per se, but the Islam that they represent is deeply, deeply embedded in the Sufi teachings of the Anatolian Turkish communities. Okay. Uh, as you might already know, earlier in the Republic, by the violent implementation of secularism in Turkey, all the Sufi shrines were outlawed and their orders were closed, etc. So oh. a lot of the Sufi movements went underground, and some of them survived as a traditional Sufi order. But the Gulen movement, it's a religious movement, but also a, re- a social political movement. Uh, they draw so much um, teaching uh, from the from the various Sufi orders. But also, it's amazing. My my parents were not religious. I grew up in a uh, somewhat Alawite Turkish nationalist tradition. Even though they were not religious, they had so many superstitions. Really? They believed in jinns. They believed in Nazar. They believed in Hasad. They believed in the evil eye. They believed in the power of evil gaze that you could harm other people. Or they believed that the jinns sometimes touch you. We had a couple of mentally ill people in, my, in our neighborhood. And often their very severe mental health, emotional health problems were always explained to me as uh, possessed by jinn or their parents did something wrong uh, as they were raising them or they were, as they were having sexual relationship during those moments that a jinn somehow entered into the soul of this woman or this man. Oh, wow. I did not know about that theory. Yeah, there is a, (laughs) or um, I don't know if you heard that one. It's a very common belief that um, urine invites jinns. Right, right. Because filthy. If you urinate into a wrong place or if you have urine in part of your home or clothes, that could be, that could make you vulnerable towards the effect of a jinn, etc. I was always fascinated but at the same time, I simultaneously, I hope this will be a very honest and candid warning to the audience. Yeah. As you study and learn about jinns, um, in many parts of the world, not limited to the Muslim world, including the United States, um, because this is such a delicate subject, it sort of claims to connect you to the world of unseen. It sort of claims sometimes to explain this unseen world and try to relate it to you. There's so much uh, spiritual corruption in this field. Absolutely, uh, yeah. People who are claiming to communicate that unseen world and language, there are so many charlatans and cheaters and crooks, um, con artists. I have seen all sorts of people, uh, jadus, who basically use this to build a spiritual uh, authority on other people and abuse that authority financially, sexually, emotionally, and right. otherwise, there is so much corruption and there is so much, I don't know how to say respectfully, BS, um, the lies. <laughs> B- BS is good. <laughs> BS works. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot of exploitation of this. There is a lot of exploitation of this topic. And what I've seen is that exploitation ends up... Um, 
people who are very innocent and trust these kind of clerics and these spiritual leaders, like they, they end up harming their loved ones when they take it uh, as the gospel truth that, oh, it must be a spiritual disease. It's like somebody's black magic. It's a gin instead of addressing like actual mental health issues. I'm curious, you said there's some mentally ill people in your community or neighborhood when you were growing up and you were told that they were affected by gin. Does that mean they were not given like mental health treatment? Uh, they didn't get any other professional care. Like how, how were they dealt with then? Not at all, not at all. Especially, it's a lot better now in Turkish societies, but I have seen similar deeply rooted stigma around uh, mental health in many of the developing world, in many of the Muslim world. Yeah, I I mean, it exists here too, but yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 I still struggle in the United States among my students, Mm -hmm. how um, modern psychology, modern mental health, pastoral care, or even clinical psychology is always, uh, it's very difficult for anyone to bring themselves to the level of openness that you need to have. Um, there's so much fear, there's so much taboo around it. Um, and, and in a way, this whole gin possession, uh, black magic became uh, some sort of a cop-out answer. Um, because if you have a mental disease, that means you're crazy. That means your children will never marry suitable people. That means your reputation and standing in the community will be ruined because you come from a gene of crazy people. Somehow making up these stories, instead of seeing this as a disease that's treatable to a certain extent, somehow these evil, vicious beings, uh, these uh, smokeless fire somehow affecting, and therefore it's not their fault, but it's been a disease or a a calamity being inflicted on these people, it became sort of a cover, a smoke screening per se, to many of the mental diseases that a lot of people in the developing world, especially in the Muslim world, are going through. These people are shunned. They have been subjected, as I said, all sorts of uh, abuse um, in an attempt to take that, whatever possessed them out of their system. You know, what's shocking is the fact that it is seen as less, uh, basically there's more stigma attached to understanding these phenomena as mental illness than there is that, oh, like the, the better option is is deciding that, no, this is like a demon possessing you versus, oh, maybe it's mental illness. You think that would be a greater stigma, right? Like how do you marry off your daughter or your son if you're like, yeah, she's got a demon, but look, she's mentally healthy, but she's got a demon you got to deal with. I mean, it's, you know, how they're weighing that stuff. But, but look, you have been um, in chaplaincy providing pastoral care to uh, young American Muslims for what? two decades, like what, 20 years now? 20 years. 20 20 years now. And so I am sure in that time you have seen your share of situations where people come to you thinking that they are afflicted by something like this. I have seen the good, the bad, and the ugly. I don't know where should I start. Um, There is also good in this. Uh, I have seen, I hope your program and similar programs will be a further invitation to explore how the whole conversation around jinn and ghosts and black magic, the traditional medieval language, um, especially if it is seen as not literal, but symbolic, allegorical way of explaining the inner world of our souls and its connection. Um, And especially if people with some psychological background or like me, pastoral care background, with some religious background, if they study this genealogy, if that's the correct word, this (laughs) gene literature, um, through that lenses, there is so much wisdom to be uh, explored and exploited in a good way. 
I think some of the language around jinns, know, living much longer than human beings, knowing your history. If you think jinns are like energies mm-hmm. um, and somehow at some point through some experiences in your childhood, if these uh, uh, certain um, sort of a, a psychology or energy constantly malfunctioning and sucking all the energy out of your system and slowing you down or causing emotional distress, there is so much to be explained. There are not many people who are trying to bridge the modern psychology with the medieval, traditional, cultural, and religious language around jinn. I have had many good teachers who never charge money, who never really, um, who never really try to exploit the situation of vulnerable people. And I have seen few honest, pious, religious people who are helping with their knowledge of this jinn literature uh, mm-hmm. in the past. But that's far and few in between, unfortunately. Unfortunately. Right. Uh, how, well, how, how have you approached this issue when you've been confronted by it? I don't dismiss it like most psychologists and most uh, modern literature uh, or chaplains do it. I don't, I don't necessarily, I believe it conveys a message. I believe it gives you a tool to communicate something not easily communicatable. Mm. I don't believe it as a literal. Uh, I, I really categorically, this might be even controversial in some Muslim circles. Oh no, are you about to like, uh, uh, like excommunicate yourself? <laughs> <laughs> As if I haven't done this already with a lot of other issues. Right. But I, I really don't believe, I believe jinns exist. I believe the basic Quranic and the prophetic message around them. But I categorically don't believe that they they can have any effect on you. Oh, they can have any uh, connection with, they can harm you. I don't think so. I It really contradicts my concept of what is fair, God's God's mercy and compassion if you want, we can go there theologically, but I believe they are there for a reason. Like uh, the planets, animals, we learn so much from them. Uh, mm-hmm. I think they, the sciences on these other creation can be a helpful tool, especially for jinns trying to map out our soul, map out our emotional world, and develop a tool and language where we can actually engage with different aspects of human psychology, human sexuality, human soul, they have a, to me, they have a utilitarian role and their utilitarian role only can fulfill itself if we can not exclusively, but primarily study this jinn literature in our religion and traditions as a symbolic, allegorical, not literal things. Mm. So when, you, when you've had uh, people from the community or students who say they believe that they're afflicted by this, to you, that's like a, a door opening into the, the window of their basically mental state of mind, right? Like their mental health, their state of mind. And yes. it's just a, a, a language for you to be able to use to approach that. Absolutely. You said it more beautiful. Can I give you an example? Yeah. I had a student uh, about a decade ago. He was convinced that there was a jinn and he was told by a jadu or a person in Pakistan by that. Uh, it's always a person in Pakistan on his, WhatsApp. Yeah, his, <laughs> his homosexual tendencies or his attraction to same-sex was caused by a particular Persian jinn. Oh, he was gay. Okay. So I have a whole story. Like I could have easily said that's stupid and nonsense. You are gay because God created you this way. Or Mm -hmm. this is something psychological nature or nurture. I just can't imagine the torment that young man must have felt to hear this. That is, that's so abusive. (laughs) And, and, 
if I could, I could just travel to Pakistan and find a way to make sure this guy in Pakistan is arrested. Apparently, mm. he's very popular. He charges $100 an hour. Um, and in Pakistan, as you know, that's a wealth. Imagine that's a lot of money. Yeah, it's a lot of money. He must be charging more now. But this idiot in Pakistan, this corrupt soul, this morally repugnant so-called spiritual leader made this 18-year-old believe that he's gay or he has gay tendencies because of this Persian gene in him. And he can uh, do all sorts of, like, it's terrible. I cannot even uh, come close to understand the things that he asked him to do so that this gene will go out of his system, including drinking urine. Oh, my God. And and things like that. And he did all of this. Of course, being gay doesn't go anyway. Oh, oh that poor boy. <laughs> Uh, he's in a much better place now. He's uh, he's a very successful, personally and professionally. Thank God, I think our relationship uh, over the years have played a modest role in his ability to uh, find out what his sexual orientation is mm-hmm. and what this actually means and in what ways um, uh, his uh, my my uh, uh, me not totally refusing that Jin's story. Uh, why he thinks that's the case, why there's an external uh, uh, effect or pressure on him, make him feel this way. It it sort of helped us to develop a, a respectful language to talk about this. He needed this. He just couldn't bring himself to admit that he could be gay. It mm. must be caused by something that he could fix. And he was holding on to that hope. Uh, I am glad I didn't destroy that hope immediately. But over time, his increased self-awareness about who he is and what this issue is about, he himself arrived to that conclusion and that process helped him tremendously. I mean, he's lucky he had you there. Like in any other, in, a, in another scenario, that could have gone so terribly wrong. I mean, could, that could have ended up in him hurting himself and him, Absolutely. his like, yeah, that could have ended up so badly. And that's just Absolutely. terrible. And, and if you look at the polls and statistics, people who commit suicide or cause harm and hurt to themselves and others, there's a large proportion of them are coming from this inner struggle, mental health issues, et cetera. And that's for a reason. This could have gone really wrong. He could have gone to a shrink and shrink would say, this is all nonsense. Mm. Don't believe in any of this. Just celebrate your gayness. He wasn't there at the beginning. He couldn't even bring himself to even say the word G word. Right. Uh, or... He, he could be still in the destructive hands of that idiot in Pakistan. And that guy could have sucked the life out of him. We'll be right back after this short break. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com iHeart. 
That's lifelock.com slash iHeart to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. Let's hit it. Give me a vacation. Vacation. Give me a wave. Surfing. Give me a city tour. The trolley. Give me animals. The zoo. Give me some sea life. <laughs> Give me museums. Give me a woo. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your family vacation at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. During the series, uh, in different episodes, we do explore situations in which uh, people have been exploited sexually, but also like this, financially in many different ways uh, because of the manipulation of these kind of charlatans. But let me ask you this. You did say right now a little while ago that you fundamentally believe that these are creatures that exist, right? Yes. <clears throat> so if if that's the case, what we're talking about maybe, or one way to think about it is that we kind of all exist in our different dimensions, right? Like God exists in his dimension and we exist in our... Do you think that it's possible that there are times when the veil between the dimensions thins or that there are people who are maybe more receptive to other dimensions that like a skeptic like me, not a, I'm not a skeptic. That's actually the wrong word. I'm like you, I believe it, but I, I'm just one of those people. Uh, like I really thought by the end of this um, series, I would be like, I'd have a gin possess me or, or at least contact <laughs> me. Like I haven't even been contacted. Right. I just feel like I've got this wall to whatever other dimension. It's not going to happen for me. <laughs> Maybe you too. But do you think there are some people that is possible? No, really? No, I honestly don't. Uh, and if, if that was a, such a power, I think it was given to prophets and messengers mm. who are innately, uh, ready and also trained by God and by angels to receive, to communicate, to be, um, to be able to have access to that world. Uh, I don't think so. Um, so maybe, what about, yeah, go ahead. Maybe because I have seen so much of that abuse. Yeah. I categorically become an agnostic that uh, no one can have direct access to that um, world. Um, and then, it gives them such a power, such an incredible power that yeah. I am so against that power. It's always often used for uh, evil purposes. I'm well, sorry, I cut you off. No, no, no. I, I was going to, speaking of, I mean, there's like five different things I want to ask you in, in uh, following up to that. But actually, um, speaking of power, in in Pakistan, South Asia, I'm thinking Bangladesh, and in, in those countries, you know, black magic is like, it's very heavily used, uh, even though it's kind of like underground, you're not supposed to be doing it. Obviously, it's not like allowed religiously, but it's a big thing. It's a big thing. And many people swear that, look, they, there there are ways that you can kind of, you know, harness the power of jinn to do something like to harm other people to whatever kind of black magic you're trying to do. I'm wondering what the culture around that is in Turkey. Mm. It's the same. Um it's the same, uh, but I think in South Asia, I hope I'm not generalizing too much. It's fine. Um, it's okay. You can generalize on my show. <laughs> I think in South Asia, it's out of control. Yeah. Um, quite honestly, it's not only among the certain population, certain economic, socioeconomic background. It's all over the place. Uh, it's amazing. I think um, it might go as far as the prime minister, Abdullah, at this point. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if you know anything about his story and his latest wife, but it's interesting. Well, tell us. <laughs> 
I'm, all, I'm always up for a good juicy gossip. Uh, well, you know, Imran Khan is the prime minister and uh, Imran Khan's latest wife is his, was a woman who was his spiritual advisor up until recent. She's a married woman uh, with grandchildren. And suddenly she can, and, you know, she claims to have these spiritual powers when she can see who's doing what to him. And he really believed in her for years. And then she came to him at one point and said, I've been given revelation by God that you're supposed to marry me. Now, she's a married woman. Her husband also came to him and said, I give permission for my wife to divorce me and marry you, the prime minister. And that's exactly what happened. So she's now his wife, but also his spiritual advisor who uses like these types of things to help him make governmental decisions, apparently. <laughs> it's what I've heard. It's what oh I've heard. So, yeah. It's horrifying. You are just touching my unhealed wounds about this. <laughs> Anybody who believes in this crap shouldn't be a prime minister of any country. Anybody who can be conned by any, like God is speaking to me, I should marry you. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are some really painful examples recently, just as of last week, uh, a Sufi sheikh who, who, who convinced a mother that God spoke to this man that he should have sex with, his, with her 12-year-old daughter. Oh, my God. Where? In Turkey. In oh, Turkey. God. And then, thankfully, it sort of father uh, had a little bit more sense. And mother gave this daughter, 12-year-old daughter, to this guy. Oh and uh, it's, a, it's a major public event. The last couple of weeks, Turks are talking about nothing but this issue. Big scandal, yeah. Big scandal. It's a huge blow to the reputation of religion and religious people and religious leaders in general. Um, was, he a well-known, I mean, was he a well-known religious leader? Well-known. Quite well known in in certain segments, and quite mm. well known. Apparently, he has thousands of followers. Mm. But uh, a father of the twelve-year-old went to police, and everything just came onto surface. It's ugly, and then he and then they found out that he molested multiple children younger than 12, 10, 11, 9. <gasps> so here's a pedophile using this uh, uh, sort of deceptive power that he has access to jinns and black magic that he can actually um, heal people from the curse, from the Nazar, from the evil eye. And then using this uh, con artist uh, abilities and skills to do all sorts of harms. Uh, in, in most cases, everybody's innocent until they're proven guilty. But when it comes to gin, black magic, everybody's guilty <laughs> unless they really prove that they are not. That's my attitude. And that should yeah. be the attitude of most sane, educated believing, practicing Muslims and other other people. Right. But uh, why I totally dismiss it, despite my very clear disgust and uh, detest of these people is, I think there's a way in which uh, this issue, even though they don't really have any power, um, over the years, I, I came to realize some of their practices of, for example, this black magic, if you look at what they do, I don't believe they communicate with jinns but they sort of go through the childhood of these individuals. Mm-hmm. They pick up certain patterns of their mistakes. They put an honest mirror before them. So without even knowing and having the proper exact training, they become this masterful overtime therapist. Mm. Um, and these people find comfort in this. They, through their increased self-awareness, uh, they have more motivation and empowerment in them. Right. And they sort of get healed. So there's, there's like some kind of therapy happening without anybody exactly. realizing it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And, uh, and, and also nobody wants to remain uh, in pain. Nobody wants to wake up every morning sitting on a pile of unprocessed, unexplainable 
internal struggle. Right. So there's so much uh, desire to get better, feel better, live a good life. Uh, combination of this um, unintentional therapy and people's willing to get better. Uh, I think some magical things happen here. I have seen many people. I have seen many people really uh, going through very deep clinical depression, so much so that it's crippling them through these uh, black magic or jadu uh, seance. Uh, over time, they got better. But I think there's a different explanation. I don't think they got a better. Placebo, of, it's a placebo effect, you think? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, exactly. And also not entirely placebo. In a way, not these people are getting on their own by positive thinking, uh, thinking that something magical is happening. Mm-hmm. I believe in the power of therapy. My years of my pastoral care education showed me how amazing the, the science of psychology has improved, how much more we know now about what ticks people off how their emotional world function and these techniques of therapy really help people. Right. And, uh, but unfortunately, a lot of these evil people, they use these techniques successfully, but they package it in the form of communicating with jinns or reading certain prayers and rituals, right. or they blow into a leaf or a water and that becomes healing effect. That's all crap. I don't believe any of it. Okay. Uh, Having said that, here's a question. I feel like I know the answer already, but I want to ask you the question anyways. <laughs> Have you personally ever had an experience that you could not explain? Oh, many times. Okay. Tell oh, me many, about many, it. Many, many, many times. Uh, I have been, um, especially 2016, I can give you a very good example. Uh, something happened that uh, I found myself... Um, was it because Trump was elected? What happened? <laughs> <laughs> You know, I love, you know how much I love America. I over-idealized America. Right. And how much I invested in in American Muslim identity. This is my entire uh, universe. Yeah. Like, I never thought it will get this bad and this ugly. Uh, And since then, periodically, I found myself in a state of depression and sadness. Like, Mm. I don't understand why. Um, I found myself spending really uh, hours struggling in the thickness of deep sadness and that it sort of paralyzes me. I just don't know why I cannot, I'm not watching the news, not something physically and literally. So you're saying this started in 2016, not like just since the pandemic began? (laughs) No. Okay. (laughs) In so many ways, this pandemic is now helping me. Huh. Uh, Okay. uh, This slowing down, not traveling, not being too busy, being at home, taking long walks, in so many ways, uh, it's amazing how much uh, it became a healing power and therapy to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but look, many people are depressed because of what's going on in our political system since 19- 2016. But mine was unusual. It was striking me in the middle of nowhere. It was, I couldn't drive. There were several moments I had to pull over and take a couple of, couple of deep breaths. And, um, and the whispering of these negative thoughts um, and and like worst case night, uh, nightmare scenarios, uh, it was just flooding in my in my. Uh, and then I, um, I I have a very good therapist, uh, and I know which resources in my spiritual and religious tradition to look for. And it was very clear that it wasn't just one thing. It wasn't suddenly a jinn or a ghost or a black magic was on me. And my mother absolutely believes. I got physically sick a couple of times, and. She believed that it's black magic that we mm. should do X, Y, and Z. Uh, it, it was very clear at the end of this four years process, especially the pandemic's help, that no, it was a minor political depression. 
as a result of uh, accumulated uh, losses of dreams. Mm. That I, the old high hopes and expectations that I have built for Turkey, mm. for America, for American Islam, all these lost dreams, you know, it's an inc- that's what a lot of these jinn people or magic people know. Uh, they ask you uh, your unfulfilled dreams. They ask you about right. your unfinished aspirations. That's, that's where you get all these emotional cuts so deep that you always wanted to be X, Y, and Z, wanted to do A, B, C, but never happened. And they sort of explore this and they build a whole jinn story around that. Right. Uh, the so jinn, that- like the jinn are preventing you from doing this. Yeah, I've heard this. I have heard this from friends, yeah. from very good, brilliant, smart, lovely friends of mine who've said, well, I, I, I wanted to do this project or do this with my life and I can't because I'm bound by jinn. Uh, and it's exactly. kind of shocking here. But let me ask you, in that experience, what was what was the part that was like inexplicable to you? It was just where this was coming from? Was there a supernatural it- element to this, you believe? It, it was always striking in the happiest moments. Oh. Like there are places Abdullah and Tabi is happy when he's praying, when mm-hmm. he's with Muslims, when he's with his children, when he's eating lamb chop or mutton curry. <laughs> yeah, you like your meat, I know. <laughs> <laughs> in those times, Abdullah and Tepi should be a lit Christmas tree, just burst in joy. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was coming in that way. And also it was, it was constantly... Uh, it was affecting me physically. It never happened to me before. Mm. I never, I was sad many times. I had many traumatic experiences. I lived in war zones, but it wasn't crippling me physically. This was new in the last couple of years. Maybe I'm being too personal. No, no, I, I didn't, I didn't know you were going through this. And I'm really sad that uh, I did. I wish I had known earlier. Yeah, it was, it was a rough couple of years and, and it would just disappear on its own. Mm-hmm. It was so intense, sudden, it comes and goes, it hits you like a stick and this disappears. Usually previous sadness or minor depression, it sort of comes gradually, it stays with you. There's always some sort of a visible trigger or mental trigger to that uh, stuff. This was out of the blue. And, and like I can totally see how some, a jadu or a sihir person, a black magic person can build a whole jinn story uh, as, a, as a result of this. And why so many things are going wrong in Turkey, in America, with American Muslim communities, or personally to me that somebody uh, is jealous or envious. So has put a curse on you. Yeah, put a curse on you. It's it's amazing. I think people should be incredibly resilient. If they are not being as successful, as good looking, as charming, as social, as popular as they want, uh, All of those things right here, right here. <laughs> I think rarely it's because there is somebody who's so jealous that yeah. out of his or her way. And has make, the time and energy, right? Yeah, I just don't think so. I, I've mm. never seen the physical evidence. A, I don't think anybody has that power. I don't believe anybody can do. B, very few people are that much entrenched in vengeance and hatred that <laughs> they their life. Just trying to ruin your, your... I know some Pakistani housewives who might disagree. <laughs> Look, <laughs> I'm related to them. <laughs> if it's a divorcee couple or if a, a battering husband or something like that. But some of the stories, like there's this, um, this uh, again, the same student, he was convinced that this Persian jinn who makes him gay was about a Hindu family in India, that this Hindu family knew who he was and just uh, was doing this magic with some really anti-Semitic Judaism here and there. 
if you wait, wait. So there was a Hindu family, a Persian jinn, and anti-Semitism all in the same story. Yeah, yes, <laughs> so yes. confused. I think as part of this program, maybe uh, you should collect some of these stories. Um, I would love to. Yeah. And and when people are in it, they don't understand how crazy, how irrational, and how stupid this is mm. sometimes. And maybe if people hear from other resources, other people's experiences, like who can make anybody drink urine? Mm. I, I just don't know. Like, like again, these educated people going to one of the best colleges in the in the in the world. Um, he believed uh, that, that was his desperation. That was his desperation. Yeah, and that's, that's a whole other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How did he? Well, I want to know for you the experience you went through, which is so inexplicable to you. You don't believe there's any supernatural element there. How did you, did it just suddenly go away as quickly as it came on? No, uh, because my initial diagnosis was not, uh, I panicked. Uh, my initial diagnosis and my ongoing therapy as a chaplain, you have to have a chaplain. You have to have a sure. uh, person who is also taking care of your well-being. I think those people also were not used to this side of me. This was something really unique and new. That's why the gin story made a lot more sense to my mother. Um, it didn't go away. Uh, still, it didn't go away. But I think I have a better handle of it. Now, I I have a way in which I can go back and revisit this over-idealized America, over-idealized American Islam, American Muslim community, over-idealized secular democracy in Turkey. It is it is my own sort of recalibrating of my own expectation and seeing where it really hurts me and attending to those hurt and mm-hmm. neglect is... But at least I can breathe. It's it's not coming as frequent as it used to be, and it's not uh, hitting as strong as it used to be. But it's an ongoing issue. You know, the uh, emotional depression is nothing but an emotional pain, like physical pain. You cut yourself, and you're that healing. If the if the wound is so deep, it takes a lot of time. Yeah, yeah, it does take a lot of time, and sometimes it takes a lifetime. Absolutely. Just quickly summarize and recap my general take on this gin ghost black magic story. I think these are real in the sense that there is a world that our microscopes and our telescopes can see. Mm. And, and there is a world and there are creatures and beings that God Almighty has created live and function in that world. There is a way in which we can learn without necessarily having direct access to them through their manifestation and through their stories told in our tradition. Mm. And some of these stories and realities that we have access to can shed light into the modern psychology, human soul, right. our emotional world, what makes us who we are and why are we so peculiar in certain, like why, what are we attracted to, what, what turns us on, what turns us off. There's so much unexplainable aspects of human life and human soul. I think that literature through these utilitarian eyes with, yeah. without believing any superstitious superpowers should be studied in line with modern psychology yeah. and literature. Look, I think there's no question that much of what our belief around jinn or angels or even God is projections of what we think and feel and what we know, because that's how our imagination is limited, right? When Even when we think about these creatures, these supernatural beings we believe in, uh, we're limited to the language that we know, the emotions that we know, the uh, abilities, the capabilities, the powers that we believe could exist or do exist, and that's it. And so that just, uh, it's such, yeah, so that's just evidence. I am what my servant thinks of me. 
Right. God said, yeah, yeah, yeah. If God is uh, this fire-breathing, angry dragon who wants to punish people for no reason, uh, then, like, effectively, the, the God, the energy will be that negative, destructive energy. Right. That's your own projection. That's right. your own That's projection. Your own projection. And, yeah. and I think a lot of the people or these spiritual creatures uh, gain power because of people's perception. Mm. Well, Abdul, I will say I'm only slightly disappointed because I was hoping you would tell me that you have control over a whole tribe of jinn or something. Imagine how many more problems we could. All right. Thank you so much again, Abdullah. I love seeing you. Love you. Love your family. And, uh, you know, stay safe and stay happy. I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. Now, there are as many people in the world with jinn stories as there are jinn. So if you have one you'd like to share, make sure to email it to me at thehiddenjinn at gmail.com. That's thehiddenjinn, T-H-E-H-I-D-D-E-N-D-J-I-N-N at gmail.com. And until next time, remember, we are not alone. The Hidden Jinn is a production of iHeartRadio and Grim and Mild from Aaron Mankey. The podcast is written and hosted by Rabia Chaudhry and produced by Miranda Hawkins and Trevor Young, with executive producers Aaron Mankey, Alex Williams, and Matt Frederick. Our theme song was created by Patrick Cortez. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024.